The following is a presentation of the All Andy Alford Network, powered by Anchor. You are listening to Andy on the plethora of platforms with the Anchor Network, whether it be on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Bleaker, and Pocket Cast. However you listen, wherever and whenever you listen, thank you for tuning into the program tonight. And you can always be a part of the show by following us on Twitter. It is at all Andy Alfred. It is at All Andy Alfred and Facebook.com slash All Andy Alfred. What a fantastic weekend we just had in the world of sports. Fantastic NFL divisional playoffs. Upsets on Saturday and shocking ends on Sunday. We'll talk about it tonight here on All Andy Alfred. The Jackets are killing me. They are literally killing me. This season is possibly done for the Jackets. We'll talk about it tonight. Poor officiating on Sunday for the Walleye. They get the job done in a miracle fashion on Sunday night. We'll talk about that. We're going to dive a little into wrestling tonight. Monday Night Raw was in Toledo. We'll dive into the big Royal Rumble pay-per-view coming up. College basketball is on the court tonight as Bowling Green takes on Eastern Michigan in a big matchup in Savage Arena between Buffalo and Toledo. Mac basketball in full swing. Get ready. Get the blanket. Cover yourselves up. Got a cup of hot chocolate. Got a hot beverage. Get ready to sip and enjoy. Because it's time for All Andy Alfred tonight. Guess who's back? All Andy Alfred. And a shot at a goal. 24 runs in the span. I'm going shut out. Dumbino. Hit to a home run. Go home. That's way back. Bear down, Chicago Bears. Choo-choo, it's time for all Andy Alfred. And with that, I say, oh, I love you guys. And welcome in to another edition of All Andy Alfred right here on your exclusive home for me. And that is with the Anchor Network. And you are listening to me tonight on the plethora of platforms with the Anchor Network. Whether it be on Apple Music and iTunes Spotify, Google Podcasts, Spot, uh, Pocket Cast, Bleaker, Stitcher, however you are listening tonight, wherever, whenever, and however, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Thank you for giving me your time, your effort to listen into what's happening in the sports world, as well as what's happening in my everyday life. You can always be a part of our show by following us on Twitter. It is at AllAndyAlfred. It is at all Andy Alford as well as Facebook.com slash all Andy Alford. So welcome into the show on the 25th day of January 2022. It is bone chilling cold outside as we are getting you set and ready to go for a fantastic championship weekend in the NFL will dive into that here in just a few moments. 
giving you the rundown of what's going to happen tonight on the program. Of course, we'll have an Andy Rance tonight, which is a good one, I think, tonight. Also, we will dive into the uh, Jackets report. The Jackets struggling as of late. We'll talk about their games this past week against Philadelphia and Pittsburgh before their big two games in two days against top-tiered opponents in Calgary and the Rangers. We'll talk about that. Look around the NHL as well. Also, we'll dive into the Walleye and ECHL report. Uh, excuse me, the Walleye and ECHL roundup. We'll talk about the Walleye's big weekend against Iowa and the huge big win on Sunday. I was in attendance for the Fort Wayne game. We'll talk about that. Also, we will dive into what's happening on the hard court tonight. Bowling Green taking on Eastern Michigan as we speak, as well as Toledo taking on Buffalo in the Mid-American Conference game. Big game tonight. Also, we're going to dive into it first and foremost, and we're going to start first with this. It just broke about an hour ago before we began the podcast tonight, and that is that the Pro Baseball Hall of Fame has come out with their selection for this year's Hall of Fame inductees. Now, this is a big year. This is a huge year. The final years for Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Sammy Sosa, they, and Kurt Schilling, they do not get into the hall this year. Thank God. Now, they will have to go to the Veterans Committee to see in, in December if they can get in. And they need 12 of 18, 12 of 16 votes to get into the Hall of Fame in the Veterans Committee. But the I believe the baseball writers did the right thing. They absolutely did the right thing. And they left Bonds off the ballot. They took him and they said, you wanted to cheat? Well... It isn't going to happen. It isn't going to happen. And we have one representative going into the Hall of Fame this year that was voted on by the baseball writers. And I'll say this. It is truly grateful. I am truly grateful for this guy. This is a good... I think... Now, we are all... Still in flabbergasted, still about the PEE use in in baseball from the nineties in two thousands. You know, we knew that I knew Sosa and McGuire and Palmero and Canseco all use the PEDs, and that just for me it just killed me. It honestly killed me to hear about that. It really did, and. You know, to all those that are going to criticize me for what I'm about to say, do your research. Do your research on this. You can't have these guys going into Hall of Fame because of their what they did in the past. They can't. You know, they sold themselves out for fame, for money, for the stats, and they should be affected by that. Long term, not because of the PEE use, PED use, but also because of the fact that they tainted, they tainted, they tainted the records. 
because of this. And so Schilling not getting in, that hurts. I, I thought Kirk deserves it. Deserves to go in. Really does. Clemens going in, not going in. I'm fine with it. Was four time Cy Young winner. Multiple, you know, multiple no hitters. And the kid and the guy doesn't go in, and I'm fine with that because he was using the juice. But the big one is Barry Bonds not going in. Sammy Sosa, of course, not going in. That's a big one, too. But to me, Bonds not going in is absolutely the right thing for baseball. It is absolutely the right thing. Because here's the thing. For me, if Bonds, Clemens, and Schilling do get in, do get into the Hall of Fame, for me... You have to make the consideration of Pete Rose. I've always said Pete Rose deserves to go into the Hall of Fame as a player. Not as a manager because we know what he did as a manager. And that is a black mark on him. But you can't deny his stats. You can't deny what he did for that organization. And you cannot, you cannot, cannot deny the opportunity you have you have the big red machine, all the pieces of the big red machine there, except for, in the Hall of Fame, except for Pete Rose. And I honestly think Pete Rose deserves, deserves to get in to the Pro Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. He honestly does. And if you're going to let Bonds and Clemens, who are pronounced have been announced as and have evidence to using performance-enhancing drugs, PEDs, then you have to include Pete Rose into the situation. It, 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 it's just what it has to be. Because if you're gonna if you're gonna make these guys, and then I'm hearing on like other sports talk radio programs. Other sports talk radio programs. Well, they're cheating. Well, there's players already that have cheated. You've got Ivan Rodriguez, Pudge Rodriguez. You've got Mike Piazza. You have Jeff Bagwell. That have all been that all were that have PEDs in it. Okay, I understand that. But look what they did. Pre-PDDs, pre-PEDs, and then when they were on the juice, you know, they struggled. They struggled. And when Pudge got caught, he lost 40 pounds and still hit the cover off the ball with the Tigers. Still hit the cover off the ball with the Tigers. But we do have one going into the Hall of Fame. And this is a big one for me. Uh, if you follow our Facebook page, you saw that the ballot came out. He was not one of mine that I voted for. I, I didn't think he deserved to be in the first, be a first ballot Hall of Famer. I really didn't. Uh, this is his first year on the ballot. But David Ortiz, Big Poppy, goes into the Pro Baseball Hall of Fame on his first attempt 
on the ballot. He got 77.9% of the voting. That, you know, that shows you. And, you know, he has done so much, not just for the game, but he's done a lot for the city of Boston, done a lot for the game itself, too. And remember, a few years ago, he was almost assassinated in his home country. So to see Big Poppy get the recognition, and yes, he came out in 2003, the report came out that he tested positive for PEDs, okay? But, but, the commissioner's list came out and said that that was a survey study. When they retested him, no PEDs. No PEDs. He played four years with the Minnesota Twins before being released by the Twins. He then signs a big deal with the with the Red Sox. His numbers implode. They go up. They were a mushroom. They take off. And now he is a pro baseball Hall of Famer. And I am so proud to say, uh, you know, I, even though you're going to have the people, they're going to criticize Big Proppy because of the situation. You know, that's just that, that's just the way it is. It's the way it is. You look at the rest of the ballot. Okay, Barry Bonds got 260 votes. This is his last year. The minimum to get to the into the Hall of Fame is 75% of the votes. He got 66% of the vote. Last year he got 61.9% of the vote. He did get a push towards the end, but he it wasn't enough. Roger Clemens, his final year. 257 votes, 65.2%. Scott Rowland, who I think will get into the Hall of Fame, who bumped up by four points this time around, 63.2%. I think Scott Rowland deserves to get in. And like I said, Kurt Schilling, final year, he gets 231 votes, which is 58.6% of the votes. One of my guys, Todd... Todd Helton, 205 votes, 52%. He's moving up. Billy Wagner, 201 votes, 51% of the vote. Andrew Jones, 163 votes, 41.1% of the vote. Now, here's here's a one for you. Gary Sheffield. Now, Sheffield is a known PED user. Known for that. He got 160 votes at 40.6%. How about that? A-Rod, Alex Rodriguez, his first year on the ballot this year. He's not a I, – I, I don't think he'll ever make it in. If Bonds, Clemens, and, and Sosa don't get in, A-Rod will not get in. You can do so much for the game. He hasn't done – pardon my language. He hasn't done shit for the game. You know, he sits there every week with Big Poppy, who is now a pro baseball Hall of Famer. A Hall of Famer. Deserves to be in the Hall of Fame for his accolades. And A-Rod does not. Because he is a two-time, two-time offender of the PEDs. Got 135 votes. 34.3%. Jeff Kent, who I have as one of my ballot voters. 129 votes. 32.6%. Omar Vizquel got 94 votes. 23.9%. Sammy Sosa. 
Last year on the ballot, it was terrible for Sosa. 73 votes, 18.5%. He is done. Uh, other ones. Tory Hunter, 21 votes, 5.3%. Here's the names that will be not making the future ballot. So you have to have 5%, more than 5% of the vote to be considered into future ballots. Okay. Joe Nathan got 17 votes, 4.3%. Tim Hudson, 12 votes, 3%. Tim Lincecum only got 9 votes, 2.3%. Ryan Howard, 8 votes, 2%. Mark Teixeira, 6 votes, 1.5%. Morneau, 1.3%. 5 votes. Same with Jonathan Papelbon, 1.3%. Prince Fielder only got 2 votes. 2 votes, 0.5%. Perzinski got two votes, 0.5%. Carl Crawford, none. Peavy, none. So going forward, the ballot will look like this. Tory Hunter, Mark Burley, Bobby Abreu, Jimmy Rollins, Andy Pettit, Omar Vizquel, Manny Ramirez, Jeff Kent, Alex Rodriguez, Gary Sheffield, Andrew Jones, Billy Wagner, Todd Helton, and Scott Rowland. That's what's the next week of next next year's ballot would look like. And then there'll be a new cast of players that will be going into the Pro Baseball Hall of Fame. But Big Pappy gets elected into the Pro Baseball Hall of Fame on his first ballot. So congratulations to Big Poppy. And you know, getting a little bit into some baseball news, of course. There has been some significant progress in the CBA talking, and that is a good sign for baseball. Major League Baseball and the MLB Players Association met for the second straight day on Tuesday with the league making a significant move to create a path to the deal. Now, this is one day after the PA rejected the league's proposal that included significant increases in pay for players with a two-plus year of service time and a plan that included the best players earning even more in bonuses based on performance. Now, MLB has returned with a proposal based on the framework intentionally presented by MLBPA, according to a reliable source. The league's proposal is centrally founded on a bonus pool with a pre best pre-arbitration pl for pre-arbitration players, in which that they will re get rewarded in game will be rewarded the top pre-arbitrational players in games up to four times their salary, four times their salary, based on the awards and performances of their season. That will be, with an increase in a league minimum salary, would result in younger players being paid more prior to their arbitration. Now, the thing is, this was based off of Cy Young winner, if of course it would be based off of a salary has would be seen have seen a salary of a say a Cy Young winner of winner Corbin Burns jump from six hundred and eight thousand dollars to two point four million dollars, or the runner up of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. would go from six hundred and thirty five thousand four hundred dollars to one point eight million dollars. Now the PA has dropped its demands for changing it to a six-year free agency eligibility 
on Monday, which marks a pro- marks a progress in the talks. While MLB has proposed on Tuesday, pre-arbitration pool market marked a significant step forward to a career to a clear path to making a deal. Clubs would also earn draft picks if top prospects get a full year of service their rookie season and subsequent subsequently receive an award for a recognition. So that's a good sign right there. MLB will expand postseason plan, which also increases players' postseason shares by approximately $20 million, which is about 60% of the gate receipts from the new first round of the postseason would be added to the players' postseason share. And now, also, a lottery for the top three selections in the the MLB draft will be served as deterrent for teams to not tank with teams being ineligible to receive lottery sections in three consecutive years. So you stick with what you have, you stick with what your farm team is, you don't tank for the future. And I like that. I really like that. So we're, they're making moves. Now, does this mean that we get baseball back? The question is, like I said, the line, if you look at it, stick your hand out like you would be, like you're carrying a, a $5 foot long. From Subway. On your left hand, on your left hand is the players. On the right hand is the ownership. We're getting closer to that middle section. We are getting closer. I would say we're closer to a six inch foot long than we are than we are the foot long the foot long itself. So we're getting closer to that. But the question is, will we get will it be enough time for them to all agree to it by Start spring training, which is scheduled to start in three weeks. We are probably going to have delays in spring training, which means it will be delays in regular season, which means the games are going to be cut down this upcoming year, which is it's not a good sign. So if they don't get it done by the end of this week, folks, you can mark my words. You mark my words on this. I think baseball is going to be delayed until at least May 1st. We're going to be going into a charted water that not many people want to talk about. It's the way it is. It's the way it is. But we shall see. We'll have more news and information on this on our Facebook and Twitter accounts. With regarding the CBA as well, we're trying to get Nick, the Money Man Devera, my broadcast former broadcast partner, uh, together so we could talk talk a little bit about the CBA, but and also about this Pro Baseball Hall of Fame induction. Uh, you know he he had a, he had a statement saying that you know he would be voting for Bonds and Clemens and everything like that. You know, and I I just totally disagree with him. You know, I I would I voted for Mark I would vote for Mark Burley. He's a solid pitcher, a great great pitcher, dominant with the White Sox back in the day. I I, I just don't agree with him voting for Bonds and Clemens and Schilling when they are known PED users. I I, I just don't. But we'll we'll try to get him on so we can pick his brain over that right here on All Andy Alford. Whether on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Bleaker, Stitcher, however you're listening, wherever and whenever you're listening, thank you to thank you for tuning into the show tonight. 
And now let's dive into what happened this past weekend. Of course, we're going to start with the National Football League. And boy, oh boy, wasn't it a fantastic football weekend. What a fantastic weekend we had in in the pro game. Great divisional matchups in a, you know, a shocking first two games and a surprising Sunday in the National Football League for the divisional rounds as we are going to break it all down for you right here on All Andy Alfred as we take a look at the divisional rounds as we get you set for the Super Bowl that's going to be taking place in approximately three weeks on the... 13th of February, 2022, in SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, in Los Angeles, in in the Inglewood, Los Angeles, California area. And, you know, and it could be possibly the second time that a home team could be hosting the Super Bowl. We'll dive into that in just a second. But first and foremost, let's talk about Saturday. First and foremost, the surprising Saturday, of course, the games. And we're going to start first and foremost with what took place at Nissan Stadium as it was the early kick as the Tennessee Titans, the number one overall seed, took on who day, who day, who they say going to beat them Bengals, the Cincinnati Bengals. The Bengals coming off of a huge win over the Oakland, over the, excuse me, not the Oakland, but the Las Vegas Raiders, my apologies, the week before. Coming off of their big win, they took on the Tennessee Titans, who are the number one overall seed in this game. And let me just say this. You know, it was a back-and-forth game. You know, a lot of questionable, not that many questionable calls this time around. It was pretty much a clean game in, in all aspects. But, of course... It comes down to field goals and kicking. Again, it comes down to all that. As rookie kicker Evan Pearson kicks a 52-yard field goal as time expires on Saturday. As Tannehill, Tannehill in the game. Struggle. Three interceptions in the game. The problem is with this is Joe Burrow. Burrow was sacked nine times. Nine times in the game. And still pulled away with the victory. The Bengals still pulled away with the victory. Burrow, you know, it was 6 nothing. Bengals with two field goals in the first quarter before Derrick Henry getting a, a solid three-yard run. But the problem I had was, why did Tennessee go for a two-point conversion to get the lead, to make it a nine, to make it a, 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 a an eight-six game? Early on. And then Pearson with a 54-yard field goal with a minute and a half left to go in the first half, it was 9-6 at halftime. And then Joe Mixon, 16-yard run, making it 16-6 in favor of Cincinnati. Tennessee then kicks a field goal 
But then A.J. Brown with less than a minute to play in the game in the third quarter with a 33-yard pass from Ryan Tannehill puts Tennessee on the board at 16-16. Both teams battle it back and forth in the fourth quarter. And McPherson kicks a game winner. And it was Tannehill throwing the pick. Throwing the pick with less than a minute to play to give Cincinnati the opportunity to take it down the field for a little bit of yardage and for McPherson to kick the game winner. Unbelievable. Unbelievable game. The opening line was Tennessee by four. Over under 48 and a half. If you took the under, you you hammered it. That's 69,143 were in attendance as the Bengals win 19 to 16 off McPherson's game winning field goal. The overall box score. Joe Burrow, 28 for 37 for 348 yards, no touchdowns, one interception. His QBR rating was a 28.2%. But it was Joe Mixon, 14 carries for 54 yards, one TD in the game. Burrow ran the football twice for five yards. Jamar Chase, five catches, 109 yards. Higgins, seven catches, 96 yards. Uzuma, 7 catches, 71 yards. Mixon, 6 catches, 51 yards. Boyd, 2 catches, 17 yards. Like I said, Burrow was sacked 9 times for 68 yards. Unbelievable. For Ryan Tannehill in the game, he was 15 for 24 for 220 yards, 1 TD, 3 interceptions. He was only sacked once. His QBR rating was a 10.4 in the game. Foreman, four carries, 66 yards, but Derrick Henry had the load at 20 carries for 62 yards, one TD in the game. A.J. Brown was the touchdown reception. He had five catches for 142 yards. Jones, six catches, 62 yards. Uh, Hillard, three catches, 13 yards in the game. Rodgers, one catch, three yards as well. The overall team stats in this looks like this. The Bengals had 17 first downs to the Titans' 16. On third down, the Bengals were 7 for 15. Tennessee, 1 for 8. They were 0 for 1 on fourth down. Of those plays, 353 yards of total offense for Tennessee. 213 was to the air, 140 on the ground. For the Bengals, it was 345 total yards of offense, 280 through the air, 65 yards on the ground. Uh, the Titans had one, were 1 for 3. In red zone attempts, the Bengals one for two. Penalties, six penalties, 46 yards for ten, for uh, Cincinnati. Two penalties, 15 yards for Tennessee. But three turnovers in the game, all three interceptions by Ryan Tannehill. Crosses them the game against Cincinnati. Burrow threw an interception. But the time of possession went towards the Bengals at 33 minutes and 25 seconds. The Titans, 26 minutes. 35 seconds. The Titans, number one overall seed. I picked Cincinnati. You heard it here on the show last week. This is why you never get the number one overall seed. You never rest a young team like this. And that cost them. It cost them. And Cincinnati moves on 
the AFC Championship game this upcoming Sunday. Who would they play? We'll get right into that here in just a minute. The other game on Saturday was in Lambeau as Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers took on Jimmy Garoppolo and the San Francisco 49ers. And it was a former NFC North player that was clutch, that was clutch in this game. A.J. Dillon, a six-yard touchdown run, opened the scoring for the game as Mason Crosby kicked the extra point. It was 7-0 Green Bay after 15 minutes in the... And that was what the score was after the first half. And, you know, it was it was back and forth all through this game. It was back and forth all through this game. San Francisco would get plays to get down the field, but they would not be able to capitalize on it. They would have to punt. Green Bay had opportunity after the opportunity in the rest of the first quarter and the second ha- second quarter as well. And nobody could put points on the board. A block field goal at the end of the first quarter really, for me, set up the signs that maybe Green Bay isn't ready for this game. Isn't ready for this at all. As Robbie Gold starting in the third quarter at the 8-13 mark at Robbie's solid goal. Kicked a field goal, a 29-yard field goal. It's 7-3. Start of the fourth quarter, Mason Crosby at the 11-27 mark. As Green Bay drove it down the field, but they only get three points out of it. It's 10-3. But then here is the kick to it. Literally, the kick to everything. San Francisco, Green Bay is having to punt the football deep in their end, deep in their zone. And a blocked punt. Which picked up by Tanoa Ofunga. Returns it into the end zone for a touchdown. We got a tie ball game with four minutes and 41 seconds left to go. Now I'm saying to myself, oh buddy. Oh buddy. Now you figured that Rodgers would get down the field. Get set up and Crosby kicked the field goal, but it was not enough as the as Green Bay then turned it over, and Robbie solid gold on the final play of regulation kicks the game winner from forty five yards out in the snow at Lambeau and stuns the Green Bay faithful. By beating Green Bay in Green Bay, 13-10. Number ones are never safe. And I'm going to say this right now. Number one seed does not matter anymore in the NFL. It does not matter anymore in the NFL. It, it, It really doesn't. Because we've seen this with... Tennessee, a young team. Now, I said it last week that Green Bay deserves the break because Aaron Rodgers isn't fully healthy. They've got an old veteran team. They need the rest. It helped them in some aspects of the game, but, you know, 
when you're running into a hot San Francisco team that's just absolutely dominating on the football field, you kind of figure that, you know, it was a tall tale sign that Green Bay was going to possibly lose this game. Possibly lose this game. As Garoppolo was 11 for 19 for 131 yards. He had zero touchdown passes, but one interception. His QBR was 11.9. Mitchell, 17 carries for 53 yards. Debo Samuel, 10 carries for 39 yards. Uh, George Kittle had four targets for 63 yards. Samuel, three catches, 44 yards. It was special teams that won them this football game. It wasn't the offense. It was special teams. Jennings, one catch, six yards. In the game for Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers was 20 for 29 for 225 yards. His QBR rating was a 19.4. No touchdowns, no interceptions. He was sacked five times as Aaron Jones with 12 carries for 41 yards. Dylan, seven carries, 25 yards, one TD. Uh, Jones, nine catches, 129 yards. Devontae Adams, nine catches, 90 yards. Lazar was only targeted one time for six yards. And Lewis was targeted one time, did not get any yards. Randall Cobb, no catches, no receiving yards. The overall team stats, uh, the 49ers had 12 first downs to Green Bay's 14. On third down, Green Bay was 4 for 11. Green Bay was 5 for 12. San Francisco was over 1 on 4th down. Could not capitalize on that run play. And they got stuffed at the line. Of the total plays, 52, yard, 52 total plays. They got 212 yards of total offense. 106 through the air. 106 on the ground. It's pretty even. But like I said, the rush defense for San Francisco was the key piece to this whole thing. They had 67 total yards, Green Bay did of rushing through the air was 196 for a total of 263 total yards. San Francisco was 0 for 3 in in red zone attempts. Green Bay, 1 for 3. Five penalties, 25 yards for Green Bay. Five penalties, 40 yards for San Francisco. Both teams turned over the football once. San Francisco with an interception and a fumble. For Green Bay. Time of possession went to Green Bay at 30 minutes and 36 seconds to San Francisco's 29 minutes and 24 seconds. Green Bay. Could we have seen Aaron Rodgers' last game as a Green Bay Packer? I think we did. I think Rodgers is gone. He's gone. I think he's out of Green Bay. The question is where does he go? We don't know. Only Aaron knows. But we do know somebody's moving on, and that is Jimmy Garoppolo. He moves on to play into the NFC Championship game. Who would he play? Would he play Tom Brady? His former protege? His former backup? The backup to Tom Brady? Would he be playing a kid out of that used to be a former Detroit Lion? Would he be playing Matthew Stafford and the Rams? Which is a surprising Saturday. Let's talk about a shocking Sunday right here on Only Andy Elford. Sunday was really shocking to me. It was a shocking Sunday. 
And we'll start first and foremost with the early game that took place at Raymond James Stadium where Super, where the Super Bowl took place last year. And that was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers led by Tampa Tom and Gronkowski. Rob Gronkowski. Crock power. Took on Matthew Stafford and the all-in L.A. Rams. And the Rams just took the game over. And they just, what they did, they what they did was they took the game and just punched. They punched Tom Brady and the Bucks right in the face in the first half. It started off in the scoring with Matt Gay with a 26-yard field goal attempt. It was 3-0 Rams. Before then, the Tampa Bay just could not get anything going. A three and out, which then sets up Matthew Stafford to throw a seven-yard pass to Kendall Barton, making it a 10-0 lead for the Rams. Scope gets a 45-yard kick with 32 seconds left to go in the first half. It's 10-3 Rams after the first quarter. The Rams then took over in the second second quarter as Cooper Cup getting a long pass from Matthew Stafford, a 70-yard pass to, from Stafford to Cooper Cup. Gay with the kick. It's 17-3. Gay then kicks a field goal at the 2-minute 19 mark of the second of the second of the first half, making it at the half 20 to 3 in favor of the Rams. And I looked at that and I said, "Oh boy. This is a gut punch." This is a punch in the face. I figured that Tampa would come out, set dominance in this game, how good that defense is, and it was just not enough. The defense was just not there in the first half. But you can't not give Tom Brady opportunities to come back and win, and that's what happened in the third quarter. But Stafford Kicks him down a little bit more with the 7.07 mark of the third quarter. Running it in for a touchdown. It's 27-3. to And a lot of people were turning the game off knowing that this was a blowout. The Rams were going to beat the hell out of Tom Brady and the Bucks, But the Bucks started chipping it away. Go a 31-yard field goal making it 27-6. And then... A one-yard touchdown return as time was expiring in the third quarter from Leonard Fournette. It's 27-13. But then, Mike Evans getting a 55-yard touchdown pass. Coming off of a a fumble. Coming off of a, a, a drive that made it then 27-20. And then, a fumble by the Rams. Giving the football into a great field position for the for Tom Brady to hand the football off to Leonard Fournette, and it was twenty-seven to twenty-seven with forty-two seconds left to go in the game. And I said, "This is it. This is the Atlanta game all over again for Tom Brady. It's the Atlanta game all over again for Tom Brady." And I'm saying to myself. Oh my goodness, you know, is this a possibility that, you know, Tom can rally the troops? Is this the typical Matthew Stafford that we have grown to listen to and watch and, lo- and give love to? 
you know, for absolutely failing, he goes out and throws a deep pass to Cooper Cup to get, and they had no timeouts left. No timeouts left. Throws it deep down the middle to Cooper Cup. Deep pass, and he catches it. Stafford runs down there, spikes the football. Matt Gay comes down, kicks a 30-yard field goal to beat Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. There will be no defending champion in the Super Bowl with the Rams defeating the Bucs 30-27 in the game on Sunday afternoon at Raymond James Stadium. Gay's 30-yard field goal lifts the Rams over Brady. Matthew Stafford was just absolutely stellar. 28 for 38. 366 yards, two TDs in the game. He was only sacked twice. His QBR rating of all the quarterbacks we talked to has a higher rating at 67.7%. Akers, 24 carries for 48 yards. No TDs. Stafford ran the football once, or ran the football four times for six yards. He had the one-yard TD. Cooper Cup, nine receptions, 183 yards, one TD. Branton, two catches, 18 yards, one TD. OBJ had six catches for 69 yards. Higby, four catches, 51 yards. Jefferson, two catches, 29 yards. Cam Akers, three catches, 20 yards. For Tampa, Tom in the game. He was 30 for 54 for 329 total yards, one TD, one interception. His QBR rating was a 14. He had three set was sacked three times in the game. Fournette had the leading carries, 13 carries for 51 yards, two TDs. Uh, Mike Evans, eight catches, 119 yards, one TD. Gronk, Gronk, four catches, 85 yards. Fournette, nine catches, 56 yards. The Bowling Green kid himself, Scotty Miller, four catches, 38 yards. Johnson, three catches, 15 yards in the game. The overall team stats look like this. The Rams had 24 first downs to Tampa Bay's 20. On third down, the Rams were 4 for 11. Tampa was 3 for 14. Tampa was 2 for 4, hitting 50%. On fourth down, the Rams did not complete any fourth down efficiency. Of the 71 plays that Tampa ran, they had 359 total yards of offense. 308 was in passing, 51 yards on the ground. For the Rams, of the 70 plays that they ran, it was 300, 428 total yards of offense, 355 through the air, uh, 73 on the ground. Both teams were completed uh, two completed two red zone attempts. Tampa 2 for 3. The Rams, two for five. Four penalties were 45 yards for the Rams. Four penalties, 61 yards for Tampa. They, The Rams turned it over four times and still win the game with four fumbles in the game. They could not hold the rock to save their life. But Tampa had two turnovers themselves, a fumble and an interception. The possession arrow went to the Rams at 34 minutes and 8 seconds to Tampa's 25 minutes and 52 seconds. Seconds, the Rams defeat Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. There will be no defending Super Bowl champion this year at SoFi Stadium. The possibility that the Rams could host the Super Bowl 
at their home stadium is now becoming more and more official, in my opinion. It's becoming more and more fluicious because of it. Because now the Rams will host San Francisco in a rematch for the NFC Championship game. We'll get to that preview here in just a second. Now, Tom Brady, his season is now done. He is 44 years of age. Next year, he will be 45. Did we see Tom Brady's last, you know, last year as a in the NFL? I think he has one more year, and I think it will be his last year in the National Football League. I think he, they they got questions in Tampa. He's on his. This will be next year. Will be his final year of his deal. Uh, but they've got a lot of pieces out there that need to be re-signed, and they're going to take a big cap hit. And the question is, are they going to be able to keep a few players from the Super Bowl championship run? I think they keep Gronk because Brady and Gronk together, they have to keep that. I think you keep Mike Evans too. But, you know, these guys are going to get paydays. These guys are going to get big paydays. If they need to, or I, I think they, if they want to, I think they need to take a pay cut. But we shall see. So the a- NFC was all set. San Francisco versus LA. Now the AFC was still up in the air. Where was Joe Burrow going to play? Was he going to be playing in cold Buffalo, New York? Or will he be playing in a cold Kansas City? The highlight game of the week was this one. I think we're seeing Brady versus Manning all over again. It's Allen versus Mahomes. A big matchup. The Bills playing Kansas City at Arrowhead. This was a dandy of a game. Absolutely a dandy of a game. Back and forth this game went. As it started off with Singletary getting a one-yard run. The Bills getting on the board early. 7-0. 7-0. But then Patrick Mahomes running it in himself on the next possession. Patrick Mahomes and Kansas City are tied at 7 after 15 minutes of play. But then less than a minute to go. And both teams went back and forth in the second period of the game. But it was late scoring really helped out in the game. As it was Burgess getting a two-yard pass from Patrick Mahomes. It's 14-7 Kansas City, but then Josh Allen gives a deep pass, gets a deep pass across to Gabriel Davidson for an 18-yard pass for a touchdown. Bass kicks the field goal, and at the half, it's 14-14. This is a slugfest. Butler kicks a field goal to start into the third quarter for Kansas City. It's 17-14, and then. Kansas City turned on the Jets in that same quarter. About five minutes later, after a, after a failed three and out for the Bills, it was then Hartman getting a 25-yard run, a handoff from Mahomes, making it 23-14. to And then Buffalo capitalizes again in the third quarter as Gabriel Davis 
Gets a deep pass from Josh Allen for 75 yards. Bass kicks the field goal. It's 21-23 in favor of the Chiefs to go into the fourth quarter. And that's when the fourth quarter really kicked off. That's when the game really took off. 8.55 mark of the, of the fourth quarter. Buckler takes the Chiefs take it down the field. Buckler kicks the field goal. It's a 28-yard field goal. It's 26-21. And then with a minute 50 to go in the game, Buffalo takes the deep pass. Allen deep passes it to Stefan Diggs for the two-point conversion. Converts from the Gabriel Davison pass. It's 29-26 Buffalo with under two minutes to play. But then Mahomes becomes Mahomes, steps up to the plate, gets a deep pass to Tyreek Hill for 64 yards for the touchdown. Buckler kicks it. It's 33-29, and you're thinking, oh, my God, that's it. Kansas City's going to win the game. But no! Josh Allen drives it down the field, and with 13 seconds left to go in the game, Gabriel Davidson gets the pass from Josh Allen for 19 yards out to score a touchdown. Bass kicks it. It's 36-33. And I'm saying, oh my God, Buffalo's going to do it. Buffalo is going to win. Buffalo was going to win. And my dad, who was with me watching the game, he said he gave them too much time and it killed them. It killed, but Buffalo's defense was tired. They were beaten, destroyed, tired in the game. And Mahomes targets to Kelsey, sets up Buckler's 49-yard kick, and it's good. We go to overtime at 36 apiece. And then this is when the shit hits the fan. The NFL overtime rules. It's a brand new game, basically. You score a touchdown, you win the game. It's sudden death. Now, I'll get to my Andy rants in a bit over the NFL overtime rules. We're going to break this game down. Continue. Kansas City wins the toss. They receive the football. I knew it right then. Once they won the toss, I said, all right, Buffalo's just got to shut them down. We could shut them down. Be good to go. Kansas City drove it down the field. And it showed up that this this was probably pretty much rigged in favor of Kansas City to win. Because this is karma coming back from Kansas City from when they got screwed in the Buffalo against against New England a few years ago in the AFC Championship game. They got screwed out of that because of the overtime rules. They get screwed. They screw Buffalo out of it as Travis Kelsey gets an eight-yard pass from Mahomes for the walk-off touchdown at Arrowhead. Kansas City moves on, and part one of this rivalry goes to Patrick Mahomes with a 42-36 win over the Buffalo Bills 
The circling of the wagons is now done. The wagons will now sit and wait until next year. Hopefully, hopefully, Buffalo will make it. That's Josh Allen was 27 for 37 for 329 yards, four TDs in the game. His QBR rating was a 90.3. That tells you right there that he deserved to win the football game. Deserved it. He was only sacked twice. As Allen also ran the football 11 times for 68 yards. Devin Singletary, 10 carries for 26 yards, one TD in the game. In the receiving core, it was Cole Beasley, six catches, 60 yards. My name is Cole Beasley, and that's a fact. Davis, eight catches, 201 yards. He had all four touchdowns for Buffalo. Singletary, four catches, 25 yards. Sanders, one catch, 16 yards in the game for Patty Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes. 33 for 44, 378 total yards of offense, three TDs, sacked twice, QBR rating a 96. He also ran the football seven times for 69 yards for one TD. Hardman, two carries, 31 yards, one TD. Edwards, Solaire, seven carries, 60 yards, no, no TDs. Tyreek Hill had 11 catches over 150 yards, one TD. Kelsey had the game-winning touchdown. He was eight for 96 yards. Pringle, five catches, 29 yards, one TD. McKinnon, five catches, 54 yards. Hardman, one catch, 26 yards. Gay, two catches, 14 yards for Kansas City. The overall team stats look like this. Kansas City had 30 first downs to Buffalo's 23. On third down, the Bills were 6 for 14. Kansas City, 8 for 13. Both teams perfect on fourth down. Kansas City, 1 for 1. Buffalo was 4 for 4. On fourth down, Buffalo ran 63 plays for 422 yards. Of the 422, 313 through the air, 109 on the ground. Kansas City ran 73 plays for a total of 552 total yards of offense, 370 through the air, 182 on the ground. Buffalo perfect, 3 for 3 in red zone. Kansas City 3 for 5 in red zone attempts. Kansas City had one penalty for 10 yards. Buffalo, three penalties, 15 yards. Both guys did not turn the vote. Both teams did not turn the football over. Kansas City led in time of possession at 36 minutes and 38 seconds to Buffalo's 27 minutes and 37 seconds. Kansas City will now host for the fifth straight year an AFC championship game. As Joe Burrow and the Bengals head to Arrowhead. Now, there's nothing to, nothing to knock on Josh Allen. I think Buffalo is good. Uh, the question is if coaching and management is going to stay there. Because I know there was talks that they might go to New York with the New York Giant job. I don't see that happening. But, you know, we'll see. We'll absolutely see how that all shakes out. But uh, Kansas City moving on to play in the AFC Championship game. And that's the divisional rounds. We now get into the conference championship games, which will be 
taking place this upcoming Sunday, the 30th of January, 3 o'clock and 6.30 kickoffs. Now, the 3 o'clock kickoff is in Arrowhead. As Kansas City hosts the Cincinnati Bengals. The Bengals 10-7, the Chiefs 12-5. 3 o'clock kick on CBS, Jim Nance, Tony Romo on the call. Kansas City a 7-point favorite in the game. Now, they, these two played earlier in the season, and the Bengals won that game and clinched the AFC North out of that game. So, can Kansas City cut down on Jamar Chase? I think they can. They know the blueprint of how to beat them, and now they're playing at home. Now, can Burrow win his third? Can Burrow win his second straight road game out of this? They're a young team. They're not supposed to be here. And for me, I, I, I just look at it as, can they get the job done? Can they get the job done? I think they can. I think Cincinnati can. I think, and my heart tells me, my mind's telling me to take Kansas City. Because it's simple. But my heart's telling me to take Cincinnati. I wear my heart on my sleeves. I care about care about this game. I gotta ride the hot hand. I gotta ride the hot hand. Kansas City beat the hell out of out of Pittsburgh. Barely beats Buffalo. Mm, I'm going to take the Bengals. I'm going to take the Bengals. Who they? Who they say going to beat them Bengals? Take the Bengals. Sets up the ANFC Championship game where the Super Bowl will take place at SoFi Stadium. And it is the rubber match. San Francisco, 10-7 overall, taking on the L.A. Rams, who are 12-5. The Rams, a 3.5-point favorite. It will be Troy Aikman and Joe Buck on the call for this one, 6-30 on Sunday. Rams, a 3.5-point favorite in this one. San Francisco running hot right now. They They have been hot for the last four weeks. Beating the Rams, beating Dallas, beating Green Bay in Green Bay. Last three weeks, my apologies. The Rams coming off of an emotional win, come from behind, really, against Tampa. Beat the mess out of Kyler Murray, but lost to the 49ers the week before. San Francisco's 3 0 in their last three. LA is 2 1 in their last three. I kind of trust Matthew Stafford a little bit more. 
I think the pieces that they have there, they have to go all in. I'm going to take the Rams in this one, which sets up the Super Bowl that will take place on February 13th. I have the Rams and the Bengals for the Super Bowl this upcoming week. So, it's upcoming in two weeks. We'll see how the divisional round has shaken out. Of course, we now head into the championship round. So, again, I have the Bengals beating Kansas City by a close, by close. And then I have the Rams beating the 49ers, ending the dream of the Niners regime. As you're listening to all Andy Alford tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Bleaker, Stitcher, however you're listening, wherever and whenever you're listening, thank you for tuning in. And now let's hit the ice. Let's talk about the team out of the capital city. Let's talk about the Jackets. It's time to fire the cannon, and it's time to put on your Jackets. It's time for the Jackets Report, right here on All Andy Alfred. So when I last left you for the Jackets Report, a huge two games for the Jackets. We were last on the air on Thursday. They were getting ready to take on the Philadelphia Flyers at Wells Fargo Place in beautiful, in beautiful sunny Philadelphia. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. As the Jackets took on the struggling Philadelphia Flyers, Burge Lincoln's coming into the game. A great start for him. And it all started off with the maestro himself, Oliver Bjorkstrand, in the second period. It was nothing-nothing after 20 minutes. It was Oliver Bjorkstrand getting his 12th of the season from Jenner and Corrali. It's one nothing Jackets on the backhanded goal as the Jackets led after 40 minutes, one to nothing before the bug. Patrick Line getting his 6th of the season from Jenner and Kukin. And it's 2-0 CBJ, 5.50 mark of the third period, beating beating goaltender gold tender Carter Hart. But then it was then Mayu getting his first of the season, beating Elvis Merzlinkis from Lawson and Lightning, making it 2-1 Philadelphia. But that was all the scoring that could happen as Cam Atkinson, the former Jacket, playing against against his former team, and Jakob Voracek playing against his former team, the Philadelphia Flyers. Jakob getting the better end of it as he gets, as the Jackets get a big 2-1 win and a big two points over the Flyers as they beat them 2-1. Jenner getting the number one star. Burst Lincoln's the number two star. And Oliver Bjorkstrand, the number three star. Shots on the goal in the game went to Philadelphia's way at 34 shots to 29 for the Jackets. The Flyers led in the faceoff dot 53% to 47%. Both teams 0 for on the power play. The Jackets 0 for 3. Philadelphia 0 for 4. As Philadelphia had 10 minutes in penalties, the Jackets had 12 minutes in penalties. The hits went into favor of Columbus at 22 hits to 19. They outblocked the Flyers 17 to 9. And the giveaways went in favor of the Jackets at 5 giveaways to the Flyers 11. And the Jackets had 7 takeaways to the Flyers 5 as well. In the Shots on goal overall, the Jackets had 11 shots on 
That in the first period to the Flyers 9, 14 apiece for both teams in the second. The Flyers led in the shot department in the third with 11 shots to the Jackets 4 in the third period. Carter Hart in the game stopping 27 of 29. His save percentage of a point 931 for the Jackets. It was Merce Lincoln stopping 33 of 34. His save percentage of a point 971. So a big two points for the Jackets coming off of a huge win there on the struggling Philadelphia Flyers after losing to, to Florida last Saturday. So a long break. Jackets look to bounce back. They had a big test in front of them on Friday night at Nationwide Arena in front of... I have to say this to you guys now. My mother called me up. Now, I was not watching the game Friday night. My mother calls me up and she says, Hey... Where are they playing this game at? Uh, what game are you talking about, Mom? I said, where are they playing the Jackets-Penguins uh, game at tonight? I said, they're playing it at Nationwide. Why? Well, I would say it's about 65% Penguin fans to 45% Blue Jacket fans. And she was totally right. There was more Penguin fans at this game than anything. And she was asking me why it was so many Penguins fans. And I said, because... Of the interstate system and all you have, all those Pittsburgh fans that can't get tickets in Pittsburgh, drive to Columbus, as well as the people from West Virginia, as well as uh, the west, the eastern part of Ohio, come over to Columbus to watch the Penguins play. So it was about 60-40 in favor of the Penguins in this game as the Jackets welcomed in Pittsburgh for the first time this year. And it was all Pittsburgh to start off in the beginning as Dumoulin getting his third of the season from Crosby and Latang, 32 seconds into the first period. It's 1-0 Pittsburgh. And then Gustav Nyquist on a shorthanded breakaway gets the goal beating goaltender Jocelyn Cherry in the game. Excuse me, beating DeSmith in the game. It was 1-1 after that. And then was the captain himself, Boone Jenner, getting his 16th of the season from Voracek and Line. 2-1 Jackets at the 1846 mark of the first period. But then Sidney Crosby comes to life, getting his 8th of the season from Russ and Genzel, tying the game at 2 with less than a minute to play in the first period. And it's 2-2 after 20 minutes of play. It stayed that way. After 40 minutes of play before Matheson getting his 6th of the season from Dumoulin and Helen his 8th of the season. It was 3-2 Pittsburgh and then Crosby killing the Jackets on the power play. Getting his ninth of the season from Russ and Malkin. 4-2 Pittsburgh. He buries the empty netter Crosby does from Matheson and Dumoulin getting a hat trick at Nationwide Arena. That was the final tonight as the Jack as the Jackets fall to the Pittsburgh Penguins for the first time this year by a score of five to two. Jenner the number three star, Dumoulin the number two star, and Sidney Crosby the number one star in this game. And like I said before, the flock, the Penguin fans were in attendance for this one. They made their presence known at Nationwide. They've made their presence known. And we have an Andy Rance on that here in just a little bit. Shots on goal in the game went in favor of Pittsburgh at 31 shots on net to Columbus's 27. In the faceoff, that the Jackets led in faceoffs 
at 51% to 49%. Pittsburgh, one for six on the power play. You can't have six penalties against the Penguins. The Jackets over two on the power play. The Jackets had 12 minutes in penalties to Pittsburgh's four. They outhit the Penguins in the game 26 to nine. Outblocked the Penguins 20 to 14. They had four giveaways to Pittsburgh's eight. They had nine takeaways for Pittsburgh's seven. Jackets led in the face and the shot department in the first period 12 to 11, but it was all Pittsburgh after that 12 to 11 for Pittsburgh in the second, and in the third they had eight shots to Columbus's four. In the game. It was Jonas Carposalo struggling. He stopped 26 of 30, save percentage of a point, 8.67. Like I mentioned before, it was uh, Trisha Jari stopping 15 of 15. His save percentage was a point of 1.0, but it was DeSmith stopping 12, 10 of 12 in the game early on. His save percentage was a point, 8.83. So the Jackets fall to the Penguins. And like I mentioned before on Thursday, the Jackets needed four points out of this situation. Three points were okay. Two points we were struck. We have we have some discussions. One point to no points. The season's done. After this two after these two games, I was fine with two points. I I I I was fine with two points because the Jackets were outplayed in the game against Pittsburgh. They were outplayed in all assets of the game. Pittsburgh is, you know, they're they're trying they're trying to hold on to the top wild card spot. And we'll get to the standings here in just a second. But you, when you have twelve minutes in penalties, that just kills a lot kills a lot of opportunities for the Jackets there. And you can't you can't just have that happen. You just cannot have that happen. So I said, okay, we'll make up for it on Sunday. We have Ottawa. Ottawa's not that great this season. Maybe we can get some points out of it. We can make it a uh, a, a four out of six in the last in the last five in the last three. Ottawa comes into Nationwide on a Sunday afternoon. And by the way, I've got to say this now. I don't want to say it, save it for the Andy rants. I'll save it now. We play terrible with the third jerseys. You've, I wish we could get a stat. I wish the Jackets would come out with the stat of how. The Jackets perform with when they are wearing the third jersey because every time we wear the third jersey, we lose. We rarely win with the third jersey. I think we just need to stick with the one blue jersey with the with the traditional logo on it instead of the one with the cannon on the front of it. I, I was never a big fan of that jersey with this big circle on the front of it, but and it, and it's proving yet again. That this team cannot play with that third jersey. And it all, as Forsberg was starting for Ottawa, it was Merzlinkitz for the Jackets. Merzlinkitz gives up in the first period as Zoba getting his fourth of the season for Granali and Ellis. It's 1-0 Ottawa at the 7.59 mark of the first period before Sean Corrali tying it up with less than a minute to play. In the period, his sixth of the season from Voracek and Warinsky on a tip-in shot. It's 1-1. And then Schwarzo getting his seventh of the season from Froman. 2-1 Ottawa at the 16-02 mark of the second period. And that was the final. Ottawa beats Columbus at Nationwide. <sighs> Two to one. 
Corrali, the number three star. Schwartzfeld, the number two star. The goaltender, Anton Forsberg, the former Jacket, gets the number one star. Sopping, 35 of 36. Jackets outshot Ottawa in the game, 36 to 33. Ottawa led in the faceoff dot, 52% to 48%. Both teams 0 for on the power play. Ottawa 0 for 3, Columbus 0 for 2. Ottawa had 4 minutes in penalties to Columbus's 6. Ottawa out hit Columbus, 25 to 17. Out block them, 17 to 12. The Jackets had 5 giveaways to Ottawa 6, but Ottawa had 10 takeaways to Columbus's 6. Columbus had 14 shots in the first, 12 shots in the second, 10 shots in the third. Ottawa had 12 shots in the first, 13 in the second, 8 in the third. <sighs> Starting, Merzlink gets 31 of 33. Save percentage of a point, 9-3-9. Forsberg, like I mentioned, 35 of 36. Save percentage of a point, 9 7 2. So out of the six possible points the Jackets could have gotten in the last three games, the Jackets only get two. Oh my God. What what are we going to do? This season is done. This season is a wash. My friends. I'm putting this. I, I said it earlier in the year. I'll say it again. After this performance. The Jackets. I, 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 I We're going to stay in the hunt for the wild card race. But there's no chance in hell we're going to make it. There is no chance. There is no chance. And the funny thing is, I saw somebody posted on the CBJ fan page on the Facebook accounts because I'm fans, uh, friends with them on there. The, the ticket office is already selling playoff tickets. In other words, did you more? Playoffs? Playoffs? We're not even going to make the playoffs. We're not even going to get to the playoffs. We're not even going to be in a wild card playoff. There is no chance. This team is done. Now the questions are, who's getting moved? Who wants to leave? Who wants to keep uh, stay here for the rebuild? The talk is right now that Corpus Solid's on the move. Edmonton wants him. They want to give up two defensemen and a draft pick. They want two. They give up two prospect defensemen and a draft pick for Jonas Corposalo. I'd take that deal in a heartbeat. I'd throw in a bag of pucks because this is ridiculous that this team doesn't play for Corpy. Let Corpy go somewhere that they want to play. That he wants they they want him to play with them. That they could play with him because it's always always. Always back to Corpy. And it's to you fans that take him down. I've always been a Corpy supporter. I have always been a Corpy supporter. When he was against Bob, I was always a Corpy supporter. 
Wh what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What pieces are moving? I, I, I just don't know. Are we a buyer or a seller? I feel like we're going to be a seller. It's the rebuild. This isn't a reload anymore. This is going to be a rebuild. And who wants to be here for the rebuild? I know Jenner will be here. I know Wierinski will be here. We know that Line 8's gone at the end of the season. I think we move him now. Send him somewhere that we can get some prospects and some uh, draft picks. It would be even better. Uh, I mean, you keep Corrali, I think. You keep you keep Roslevic. There's talk that Roslevic want that they want to trade Roslevic. I don't think that's a good idea. I think you keep Roslevic. He's the he's the bright spot of the whole trade from Line A. I think that's a key key piece to keep with that keep them together. So uh, I keep Jack Roslevic. Um, let me look here. Let me look here. see who could we move who could we move I I don't I I don't know who else we can move I mean, who's here for the rebuild? That's all I had to say. Line A, we could get rid of him. We could get rid of. We get rid of Corpusalo. We'll see. We'll see what happens. One of the reasons why we're doing the podcast tonight is that the Jackets will be having two big games, the next two days, and these are big games. Jackets will play at home for two straight days. Tomorrow night at Nationwide. As the Calgary Flames, who are 19-2-6, come into Nationwide to battle our Jackets. 7 o'clock puck drop at Nationwide Arena. You can watch that game on Bally Sports Ohio as well as on Sportsnet uh, Alberta. And then Thursday, the Jackets welcome in the New York Rangers. Our Temi Panarin comes back to Nationwide again. Big game for the Jackets. We'll see how that's going to shake out as well. 7 o'clock puck drop for that. Looking at scores from around the league tonight, of course. Uh, as we're doing the podcast, looks like Vegas is going into overtime with the Hurricanes right now. The Islanders are taking on the Flyers. It also is uh, the Panthers are taking on the Jets. The Jets are falling right now. To the Panthers. We have a couple finals as it's now trickling. Ottawa continues their winning ways. They're up. They win five to nothing over Buffalo. Uh, on ESPN Plus is Dallas a winner five one over over New Jersey. Pittsburgh a big six three win over the Phoenix Coyotes. Late games tonight will have Edmonton in Vancouver to battle the Canucks. Nashville is in Seattle to battle the Kraken tomorrow on the docket. Besides Jackets. Uh, Jackets, Flames. You have Leafs battling the Ducks. 7 o'clock puck drop for that one. 
Washington host San Jose. And the TNT games tomorrow, 7.30 puck drop. Chicago is in Detroit to battle the Red Wings. The late game, Boston is in Colorado to battle the Avalanche. So here is the standings going into tonight's play. Florida top spot in the we'll start with the Atlantic. Florida in the top spot at 28-9 and 5 with 61 points. Tampa is right there at 28-10 and 5 with 61 points. Toronto is in third at 25-10 and 3 with 53 points overall. Metropolitan Division sees the Pittsburgh Penguins in second at 27-10 and 5 with 59 points. The top spot is run by the New York Rangers who are 28-11 and 4 with 60 points. Carolina is 28-9-2 with 58 points in third position. Wildcard race looks like this. It has shaken up a little bit. Washington, 23-11-9 with 55 points. Boston, 24-13-2 with 50 points. On the outside looking in are the Red Wings at 18-18-6 with 42 points. The Jackets, with their loss on Sunday, are now 18-20-1 with 37 points. New Jersey 15, 21, and 5 with 35 points. The Islanders 14, 14, and 6 with 34 points. The Flyers 13, 21, and 8 with 34 points. You have the Buffalo Sabres at 13, 22, and 7 with 33 points. Ottawa 13, 20, and 3 with 29 points. And the Montreal Canadiens are 8, 26, and 7 with 23 points. In the Western Conference, it looks like this. Uh, Colorado in the top spot in the Central Division at 29-8-3 with 61 points. St. Louis 25-12-5 with 55 points. Nashville 26-14-3 with 55 points. The Pacific Division sees the Vegas Golden Knights at 25-15-3 with 53 points. It is Anaheim 21-16-7 with 49 points. The Kings are 21-16-6 with 48 points. On the wildcard race, Minnesota's in the top spot at 25-10-3 with 53 points. Dallas 22-16-2 with 46 points. On the outside looking in are the Calgary Flames at 19-12-6 with 44 points. San Jose 21-19-2 with 44 points. Winnipeg 17-14-7 with 41 points. Edmonton 19-16-2 with 40 points. Vancouver 18-19-4 with 40 points. Chicago 15-20-7 with 37 points. The Seattle Kraken are 13, 24, and 4 with 30 points. And the Arizona Coyotes are 10, 7, 27, and 4 with 24 points. The worst team in the league, Montreal, 8, 26, and 7 with 23 points. News and notes from around the NHL for you tonight. Of course, going into it uh, with the puck drop tonight, Keith Yandel played his 965 consecutive game to break. Jarvis's NHL record there. Uh, it also looks like uh, the Canadian rosters have been announced for the for the Olympics. It's a big slate for the for the Canadians as Owen Power will be a part of the team. It's big. It's huge. I think uh, if you look at the you look at the standings or the group play, China. The United States, Canada, Russia. Three teams right there. Unbelievable. Eric Carlson's going to be out till at least March from the Sharks after having forearm surgery. Bath uh, to see, of course, our thoughts and prayers are with the Gillies family as, Gilly, as 
the Hall of Famer. Clark Gillies passed away at the age of 67 on Friday. Uh, our thoughts and prayers are with the Gillies family. Also, Jake, Jason Zucker is out for a week with the Pittsburgh Penguins. So the Jackets back on the ice tomorrow night, 7 o'clock puck drop. They'll take on the Calgary Flames. Tickets are available. You can go to bluejackets.com for ticket information as well as as also tickets are available for Thursday night's game against the New York Rangers. 7 o'clock puck drop for both of those games. As you are listening to All Andy Elford tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Bleaker, Stitcher, however you're listening, wherever and when and however you listen. Thank you so much for tuning in. And now let's head into the East Coast Hockey League. Let's talk a little walleye roundup and ECHL roundup as well. It's time to hit the pond. It's time for the Walleye Roundup, right here on All Andy Alfred. So it is time for the ECHL and Toledo Walleye Roundup as the Walleye we're in action this past weekend at the Huntington Center. Huntington Center was busy for the last four days as they had the concert of Reba and at Huntington Center. And then Friday night, the Walleye took on the Iowa Heartlanders. It all started with Hawkins getting his seventh of the season unassisted uh, at the 10-32 mark of the first period making it a one nothing walleye lead before White getting his third of the season from Billings and Zolak at the 15.45 mark of the first period, tying the game at one apiece for the Iowa Heartlanders. That was after 20 minutes of play. In the second period, it was Marquette getting his first of the season from Mitchell Hurd and Brett Boeing, on, making it a 2-1 game. By the way, the White goal for Iowa was on the power play. Uh, regulation goal for the Fish at the 623 mark of the second period. Then in at the 757 mark of the second period, it was McMurray from Hensick and Frazier taking it a 3-1 game in favor of the Fish before Oliver getting his fifth of the season from Smith and Shurchuk, and it's 3-2 Fish after 40 minutes of play. Brandon Schultz getting his third of the season at the 436 mark of the third period from Hensick and Hawkins. That goal on regular strength. And then Iowa capping it off on the power play at the 556 mark of the third period. Zolmek getting his second of the season from Oliver and Soke on the power play, making it 4-3 Toledo. That was the final at the Huntington Center as the Walleye getting a 4-3 win over the Iowa Heartlanders. The Fish out shooting the Heartlanders in the game 41-32. Iowa a perfect, we're, we're actually 2-for-3 on the power play. Toledo 0-for-2 on, on the PP, on the power play. Uh, you know, it was not that bad of a penalty game for the Fish in the game, uh, as it was Belosek getting 
stopping 29 of 32, his save percentage of a point nine one three. Uh, Kapski getting the loss. He stopped 37 of 41. His save percentage of a point nine seven one. So the Fish getting a big 4-3 win over the Iowa Heartlanders on Friday night. You look at the rest of the scores from around the East Coast Hockey League on the 21st of January. It was running a winner 5-2 over the Adirondack Thunder. India 3-1 win over the Cincinnati Cyclones. Jacksonville a 2-1 win over South Carolina. We'll get to that here about the situation here in just a little bit. The Lions a winner 4-3 over the Worcester Railers. Kalamazoo falls to the Wheeling Nailers by a score of 6-2. Orlando a 6-2 win over the Maine Mariners. You had Atlanta, a 5-3 win over the Florida Everblades. Newfoundland puts a shellacking to the Mavericks by a score of 9-4. Tulsa, a 3-2 win over Wichita. Idaho falls to Rapid City by a score of 5-2. And Utah, a 6-4 win over the Allen Americans. The Fish were off on Saturday night, but around the East Coast League, it was running a winner 2-1 over the Lions. It was the Mariners, a winner 3-1 over Orlando. Atlanta falls to Florida 3-2. India, 5-3 win over the Kalamazoo Wings. It was the Wooster Railers, a winner 3-2 over the Adirondack Thunder. Iowa getting a 4-2 win over the Wheeling Nailers. The Comets of Fort Wayne shutting out the Cincinnati Cyclones in the Memorial 4-0. Newfoundland falls to Kansas City by a score of 4-2. Tulsa, 2-0 win over Wichita. Rapid City falls to Idaho 4-1. Utah winner 5-2 over the Allen Americans. And then we get to the game that took place at V-Star Veterans Memorial Stadium in Jacksonville, Florida. As South Carolina went into Jacksonville to battle the Icemen, Jacksonville wins it in overtime 1-0. But the big story out of this game, of course, is what happened at, in the game. And that is... What happened with Panetta and Jordan Subban? And now this is this has been the big talk around the league. So the whole situation with Panetta is just absolutely ridiculous. There's no need for that. Uh, as Jacob Panetta, the a player from the Jacksonville Iceman, taunted. Jordan Subban, the younger brother of PK and Malcolm Subban, giving the gesture of him giving giving the gesture of was just I, I I just can't believe what he did. And it was on camera, it was on Flow TV, on Flow Sports, it was on on what happened. Subban was just the, the 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 whole situation is just absolutely ridiculous. There is no need for that in our game. There is no need for that in our game. We're trying to clean this up, clean the game up, be all ra be racial equality, and and to have players like this happen, to give this this Jacob Patetta, P A N E T T, giving Jacob. What he did, which I, I couldn't believe it. I was shocked. He taunted Jordan Subban in a gesture that made him, like, gave him the, like, the shrug shoulder like, like he was a gorilla. And Jordan Subban is an African-American on the ice. 
And when that happened, Jordan Subban went off. He went off on Jacob, uh, on Jacob, and I totally, totally agree with it. And Jacob was off. Was and this happened during it over in overtime. By the way, this happened in overtime. Okay, he was issued a inciting penalty, which is seventy five point five point. He was also yeah, a game misconduct for fighting. Also was offered a five-minute fighting major and also an unsportsmanlike conduct. Subban was off was off with a unsportsmanlike conduct and a game and a continuing the altercation comment. Now Subban laid out Jacob, gave him some good poundings, and he deserves it. And the league went down hard on him, and I totally, totally, totally agree with it. However, I wanted to share this comment on my on our face I shared it on our Facebook page of the video incident and my comment to it when it first came out when it happens is that there is no need for this in any sport including hockey and this is a bad mark on the ECHL hopefully a lifetime ban will be in order for this disgusting act uh, on towards towards Jordan Subban and Jacob Patetta is now suspended indefinitely by the ECHL bearing a CBA discussion. Now, I wanted to talk about this really quickly tonight on the roundup because we've had we had a comment come on our Facebook page. And it was a person by the name of Gary Smith. Gary Smith writes in and I will read this out loud to you. Gary Smith, are you crazy? Lifetime ban he expressed his Vital crap, V-I-A-L crap. But is that right? Is it? Is that it? But that is his right, aka First Amendment. Just a gentleman targeted his right to respond, aka First Amendment. Plus, he has the right, aka God-given right, to defend himself. Let them settle it. The league fines and suspend, etc. But a lifetime ban over words and wrongly spoken are as a are as are I'm writing this reading this out loud as wrote wrongly spoken as the R is a slippery slope of BS. No one wants to go down. That's what Gary Smith wrote. It's on our on our Facebook page. I'll write I'll share that to you. Let me respond to Gary here really quickly. There is no need for that kind of action and that kind of taunting in the East Coast Hockey League. There is no right. I can understand what what like what Mitchell heard and the what the wall are doing. He's pumping up the crowd. He's giving up like cheering and everything like that. But there's no need to make a derogatory comment or a derogatory action towards another player. Especially with it being especially with it being Jordan Subban. I I I just don't like it. I absolutely do not like it. The guy deserves a lifetime ban over the situation. And that sets a precedent for all the bleak players. That you cannot, should not, and will not do that to anybody. No matter if it's uh, a white guy, an African American, uh, a Jewish person. No matter what. You do not, do not have that happen in the game. And for the league to see it, for 
the common fan to see that, it's bad. I spotted that. That came on my feed. That came on my feed from watching Hockey Night in Canada. When it's the top story in Hockey Night in Canada on a Saturday night, that tells you something. That absolutely tells you something. And I just, oh, it's just ridiculous. That is just sad to see that. Absolutely sad to see that. And Gary Smith liked my comment, but he has that discussion. Unbelievable. Doesn't give a picture of himself, though. But I, I think a lifetime ban is needed for this action. You have video evidence, and you have evidence of all this. It's not needed. It's not needed in the game. It's definitely not needed in this game. Definitely not needed in this game. So then we get to the Sunday slate. And the fish took on Fort Wayne. I was in attendance for this one. I was watching the football games on my phone while watching the hockey games. Don't judge me. There's a lot of people around me that were doing the same thing. And it all started off with Randy Gazzola getting his sixth of the season from Mitchell Hurd and Keenan. Hurd tried to pick up the fish that was thrown on the ice at the 12.57 mark of the first period. It was 1-0 walleye before McCollum getting his third of the season from Portello and Coran on the power play, beating Milosic. It was 1-1 after 20 minutes of play. In the second period was Brett Bowen getting his 11th of the season from Mitchell Hurd and Hawkins. That was on the power play. It was 2-1 fish before Fort Wayne... 2-1 fish after 40 minutes of play. In the third period, that's when the game really took off. Jones getting his sixth of the season, 18 seconds into the third period from Lovato and Porcello. It was 2-2. Then Fort Wayne, Ford at the, not even. 30 seconds later, Borales getting his seventh of the season from Graber and Tonecheck, and it's Three to Fort Wayne. The fish then chip away the lead. Brandon Schultz getting his fourth of the season from TJ Hensick, and it was 3 3. Then Hawkins getting his eighth of the season from Graffini. It's 3 4 fish. And then Fort Wayne retaliated. A lot of bad penalty, a lot of missed calls in this game. A lot of missed calls in this game. Referee Trevor Wolford really missed a lot of bad calls in this game on both sides of the ice. This is probably some of the worst officiating I've seen in the East Coast League. And I've been watching East Coast hockey for probably now, I'm 32 years old. I've been watching hockey, East Coast hockey since I was five. I don't remember all that much, but... When I was 12, I really took into the game at, at with the Toledo Storm, and I took in a lot of the officiating, and this this was some bad officiating. Missed calls here and there, but when they did catch it, it was costly for a lot of teams. But Solowski getting his fifth of the season for Borales and Graver, making it then a 
4-4 game. And then at the five-minute mark on the power play, on a bad call for the by on the fish, Lacombe getting his fourth of the season from from Lavero and Porcino on the power play, making it 5-4 Fort Wayne. And then it got crazy in the third period. Less than a minute to play in the game. TJ Hensix takes a shot from below the red line, beating goaltender Kulina, uh, making it a 5-5 game. Hensick his 17th of the season from Randy Gazzola and Brett Boeing. It's 5-5, and I'm sitting in the seats thinking to myself, we're going to overtime. This one is going to be... You know, this one's going to be determined in overtime. I thought of a, an overtime game about halfway through the third period when when it was tied at, when, when Fort Wayne tied it at 4-4. I said, all right, it's going to be a tie game. We're going to overtime. I told a friend of mine there. And then we tied it up. Gensick ties it up. And then Cole Frazier takes the exact shot. From where Hensick buries it past Selena, beats Selena again with point with zero point zero zero point six tenth of a second. Frazier gets his fourth of the season from Boeing and Keenan. That was the final at the Huntington Center. The fish. Scored four goals in the third period. Fort Wayne scores four goals in the third period as well. But the Fish come avail with a 6-5 win. Toledo outshot Fort Wayne in the game 45-30. Fort Wayne 2-for-3 on the power play. Toledo 1-for-5. For Milosic, he stopped 25-30. of 30. His save percentage was a .895. For Selena, stopping 39 of 45, his save percentage of a point eight six seven. Fish, big win, by the way, the attendance 5,848 were in attendance at the Huntington Center. Other games around the East Coast League, Indianapolis was a winner 4-3 over Kalamazoo. The Maine Mariners were a winner 4-1 over the Orlando Solar Bears. The Lions getting a 3-2 win over the Reading Royals. It was South Carolina, a 6-3 win over Jacksonville. Worcester, a 7-3 win over Andorondack. It was Utah, a 4-3 win over the Allen Americans. Iowa, a 2-1 win over Wheeling. Newfoundland falls to the Tulsa Oilers, 5-1. Wichita, a 5-4 win over the Kansas City Mavericks. And the Rapid City Rush, a winner, 3-1 over the Idaho Steelheads on Sunday. There hasn't been a game since Sunday, so we look at the slate that's going to be tomorrow night. It'll be South Carolina is in Greenville to battle the Swamp Rabbits. Utah is in Florida to battle the Everglades. Wheeling is on the road in Cincinnati to battle the Cyclones. Iowa is at home against Indianapolis. Rapid City is in Allen to battle the Americans. Newfoundland is in Wichita to battle the Thunder. Kansas City is in Idaho to battle the Steelheads. The next game for the Fish will take place. On Friday night at the Huntington, actually in the Indiana Farmers Coliseum, the Walleye will take on the Indianapolis Fuel 7 o'clock puck drop for that one on 
Friday night. Looking at the standings going into this week at week's play, looks like this. We'll look at the Central Division. The Wally on the top spot at 24-8-0-2 with 50 points. Fort Wayne 19-13-4-0 with 42 points. Cincinnati 20-15-1-0 with 41 points. Kalamazoo 19-16-0-0 with 38 points. The Wheeling Nailers are 18-16-1-0 with 37 points. Indy 17-15-2-2 with 38 points. And the Iowa Heartlanders are 14-18-5-1 with 34 points. The Newfoundland Growlers are holding the top spot in the North Division. At 16-7, 2-0 with 34 points. The Running Royals are in second spot at 17-8-5-1 with 40 points. The Lions are 16-10-0-1 with 33 points. Maine Mariners are 15-14-3-1 with 34 points. It is the Adirondack Thunder at 13-15-2-0 with 28 points. And the Worcester Railers at 13-17-1-1 with 28 points. In the South Division, it is the Jacksonville Icemen holding the top spot at 22-10-2-1 with 47 points. It is Florida at 20-11-3-3 with 46 points. Atlanta is in the third spot at 20-15-2-2 with 43 points. Orlando 19-15-2-0 with 40 points. Greenville is 10-15-3-3 with 26 points. South Carolina 13-19-4-0 with 30 points. And the Norfolk Admirals in seventh spot at 12-19-1-1 with 26 points. The Mountain Division sees the Utah Grizzlies at 25-12-1-1 with 52 points. The Tulsa Oilers are 20-14-0-1 with 41 points. Idaho a 2016-0-1 mark with 41 points. Rapid City is 19-15-3-2 with 43 points. The Allen Americans are 14-14-4-1 with 33 points. It is Kansas City at 18-18-1-0 with 37 points. Allen has played only 33 games. Kansas City has played 37 games, so take that into consideration. Uh and the Wichita Thunder is played 38 games for 13, 25, and 0 with 31 points. So that is the ECHL standings as well as games happening. Uh, we are waiting to find out how what the Pineda situation is going to be. Uh, we'll find out soon enough. And that is the Walleye Roundup and ECHL Roundup right here on All NBL for tonight on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts. Bleaker, Stitcher, however you're listening, wherever and whenever you're listening, thank you so much for tuning in. And now let's hit the hard court. Let's talk a little college basketball as well as we'll talk a little bit about other sports and other sporting events that took place. Take a look at some college basketball for you, of course. And we're going to start with the Mid-American Conference, of course. The Bowling Green State University Falcons are taking on the took on the Eastern Michigan Eagles. Uh, tonight, but of course they played on Friday night, excuse me, Thursday at the Stroh Center and lost to Akron 91 to 66 in that game as Brian Trable made 10 three-pointers for Akron for his career-high 33 points, beating Bowling Green in that game. He was 10 for 14 in the field goal mark, 3 for 3 for the three-throw line as Bowling Green was absolutely dominated by Akron in that game, as they put up 91 points on them, 91-66 was the final. And then Friday night, the University of Toledo went into Ohio to battle the Ohio Bobcats. Toledo beating Ohio 87-69. Buffalo getting the win 64-51. Saturday, Sleet saw Bowling Green bounce back after the loss against 
against Akron on Thursday. They get a big win over Western Michigan, 82-75 in that affair. And then we get to tonight, of course, Bowling Green took on Eastern Michigan, and they get the big win as we finish up the podcast here. They get a big 85-71 win 71 over the Eastern Michigan Eagles at the Stroh Center as it was Myron Gordon having a season-high 21 points for Eastern Michigan. But Joe Reese had 20 points. Uh, Myron Gordon, 21 points, 6 for 12, 11 from field goal range, 7 for 9 from the three-throw stripe. As Bowling Green getting the big win. Reese, 20 points, 6 rebounds, 1 assist. Diggs, uh, excuse me, Plowden, 12 points, 5 rebounds, and 1 assist. The game Bowling Green now improves in their marks. And Toledo getting a huge win over Buffalo tonight, 86-75. It all looks out in the standings as Toledo is in the top spot at 8-1, 16-4 overall. Ohio 6-1 in conference play. Akron 6-2 in conference play. Buffalo 4-3. Kent State 5-4. Bowling Green 4-5. Uh, Bowling Green 11-9 overall. Kent State 10-9 overall. Buffalo 10-7 overall. Akron 13-5 overall. And Ohio is... 15-3 and three overall going forward in the Mid-American Conference. Uh, games also to have note, which will be on third on Friday night. Toledo will host Akron, 7 o'clock tip on CBS Sports Network. The next game for Bowling Green will be at home on Saturday, 5 o'clock tip as Kent State comes to the Stroh Center. Kent State 10-9 overall, Bowling Green 11-9 overall as well. Looking at the top 25 in college basketball for you guys tonight, of course. Uh, games that are gone final. Ninth-ranked Duke beats Clemson 71-69. Tenth-ranked Michigan State falls to Illinois 56-55. Villanova a 67-43 win over DePaul. Baylor a 74-49 win over Kansas State. Auburn just holds on to beat Missouri 55-54. Uh, games as we speak, UConn is up 88-59 on Georgetown. Kentucky up early in the second quarter, 53-38 over Mississippi State. And the late game tonight is third-ranked Arizona taking on seventh-ranked UCLA. 11 o'clock tip for that one tonight in the top 25 for you guys. Uh, Got to make mention of this as well, too. Yesterday evening at the Huntington Center, like I mentioned before, they had the walleye games on Friday and Sunday. Saturday was Cody Johnson concert. Thursday was Co was Reba McIntyre. And last night at the Huntington Center, in front of a sold-out crowd, it was a sellout. I could not believe it. It was a sold-out crowd. There's some splotches here and there, empty seats. But WWE's Monday Night Raw came to the Huntington Center for the first time in over 11 years it was a beautiful. It was a nice show. It was a really, really good show. Gotta give. I gotta give credit to that and to the WWE for doing a great job on that. Uh, got to see Brock Lesnar for the first time ever. He's a pretty big dude. Saw Bobby Lashley as well. Pretty big dude as well. Got to see the Miz and Maurice. Got to see the Rated R Superstar Edge and Beth Phoenix. Uh, Randy Orton and Riddle with uh, the Alpha Academy, which is 
Jason Jordan, a.k.a. Shorty G, and Otis, uh, AJ Styles, um, Kevin Owens, and Damian Priest. That was the match of the night, I think. The United States Championship match between Damian Priest and Kevin Owens, I think, was the match of the night. Uh, the Street Profits and the Mysterios. They got to see Bobby Roode and Dolph Ziggler. I mean, it was it was overall the entertainment value was fantastic. Got to give that. Uh, got to see Rhea Ripley and Nikki Ash, Dana Brooke, Tamina, uh, Liv Morgan, who I absolutely love. I I hope she comes to WWE Women's Champion soon enough. I think she will get it soon enough. Uh, I hope that she does. I hope they write that in for her. To get that. Uh, same with Rhea Ripley. I think that she deserves a, a, a title opportunity as well. Uh, but you know they have. the. This was the go home episode to Royal Rumble. Uh, I thought WWE did a fantastic job. Overall. With the uh, with the production that they had at the Huntington Center. So congratulations to that. And I hope you had a good, guys had a good time. Um, I would like to see the WWE come and do a pay-per-view at the Huntington Center. I think they would sell the Huntington Center out quicker for a pay-per-view than it would be for a Monday Night Raw. I mean, I like the Raw aspect. Uh, they they would never probably do a Friday Night SmackDown again from from the Huntington Center because you know Friday nights are a big night for the for the Huntington Center because of the walleye and stuff like that. They might do it like in the summer. Uh, I like to see them come for a Friday Night SmackDown in the summer, but. You know that would be that be you know here or there. I gotta give credit to the uh, the creative staff too. They made T-shirts for Brock Lesnar that had the Toledo logo on it, and it sold out really quickly. Uh, they also had a Becky Lynch shirt. The man is back in Ohio. I thought I was gonna probably pick up one of those for my father, who's a big Becky Lynch fan. That was not the case, unfortunately. Those sold out. So, you know, overall, it was great to see. You know, some people that I do know that are wrestling fans that made it. And people that, you know, aren't wrestling fans getting the opportunity to see it for the first time. So that was pretty cool to see. So i got to give credit to that. But the Royal Rumble is this upcoming Sunday. It's a big event. As, of course, the Royal Rumble itself is the, 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 the big thing. It's honestly the big thing. And I, I, I look forward to the Royal Rumble every year. It's one of the big four pay-per-view events. One of the big events, the big four pay-per-view events. Of course you have you have the 30-man women's and 30-man men Royal Rumble. The card looks like this. I'm going to give you my prediction on some of the matches here for this upcoming week. And pay-per-view, which will take place on Saturday night, where the Rams used to play at in St. Louis, Missouri. I think the match card looks like this. We'll start first and foremost with some of the lower lower matches. Uh, I think I think uh, the women's match. Raw women's match between Becky Lynch and Dewdrop. I think Becky Lynch retains her championship there. Uh, the Miz and Maurice will battle Edge and Beth Phoenix in a mixed tag match. I gotta give the credit a little bit more to Edge on this situation. I I do love the Miz and everything like that, but we haven't seen Maurice in any ring action in a while. We've seen Beth do really well in the uh, 
Royal Rumble last year. I think she I think she can bounce back really really well in that one. Uh, they have another one. I think the Alpha Academy is scheduled to play fight fight RK Bro for the Raw Tag Team Championships. I think that should be a consideration that the RK Bro will probably win their match. But the two top tier matches, of course. Uh, the WWE Championship will start first and foremost with that, which is the defending champion, the reigning, defending, undisputed heavyweight champion of the world, Brock Lesnar, taking on Bobby Lashley. This is a match that I think we've been waiting for for a while. I think Lesnar retains. I think this match is it's, this match is going to be a 10-15 to 15 minute match. I think it's a quick match. I think Lesnar retains the championship. Uh, the Universal Championship will see Seth Rollins taking on Roman Reigns. I will take Seth Rollins to, def- to defeat Roman Reigns, and I think that's gonna it's gonna be a key piece. To that and of course, no Usos at ringside. I like the chances of Seth Rollins winning the match. I'll take Rollins over Reigns, and then you get to the thirty man battle royal. In the women's battle royal, we'll start with the women's. Some of the participants of it, of course, like I mentioned Carmella, Dana Brooke. You have Nikki A.S.H., Queen Zelina, Rhea Ripley, Tamina, Aaliyah, Charlotte Flair, Naomi, Natalia, Shayna Baszler, uh, Shotzi, Brie, and Nikki Bella, Lita, Kelly Kelly, Michelle Cool, Mickey James, Summer Rae, Bianca Belair, and Liv Morgan. I think it comes down between, I have my three picks. I like Liv Morgan, I like Aaliyah, and I also like Rhea Ripley. I really do. I think those three are a possibility for winning the women's Royal Rumble match. For the men's side, you have, of course, Montez Ford, Angelo Dawkins, Rey Mysterio, Dominic Mysterio. You have Austin Theory, Sheamus. Damian Priest, AJ Styles, Big E, Happy Corbin, Matt Cap Moss, Sami Zayn, Kofi Kingston, Kevin Owens, Omas, Randy Orton and Riddle, Chad Gable and Otis, Dolph Ziggler, and Robert Roode. You also have Johnny Knoxville from Jackass being a participant, but we don't know. There's still a few more names out there that you know could get sprinkled into this whole situation. Uh, for me... I got to give the edge my three picks for that. I think this is a tough one. Um, For me, I think you got to give credit to possibly uh, Damian Priest. I like Damian Priest. Uh, I think on the SmackDown side, I like... Like Kofi Kingston, and my but my outside pick I think it's is Big E. I think Big E will be the champion, and then he'll try to regain what he lost at the day one pay per view. So we'll see how it all shakes out. As like I said, the matches the match the event takes place this upcoming Saturday at eight o'clock on the on Peacock as well as on the pay-per-view as well. So there's that for you. One other note to pass along to you guys, of course, 
Uh, last week we were on the air and the LPGA has teed off for the season. Uh, as the LPGA took on, took on the Hilton. Uh, let's see here. Here was the Hilton, the, uh, Hilton Grand Vacation Tournament of Champions. And Danielle Kang, the drive-on champion from Toledo at Inverness, wins at 16-under. Our girl Brooke Henderson finishes 13-under par as well, too, finishing in second. Gabby Lopez finishes in third at 12-under. Celine Boutier finishes 10-under. Nelly Corda, the world number one, finishes 10-under par as well in the tournament. Yas, um, Yasasaso, 9-under par. Jessica Corda finishes 8-under par. Ian B. Park finishes 7-under. Lydia Ko, 4-under par. Kasten finishes 2-under par. Hall finishes 2-under par. O'Toole, 1-under par. Yeah, Jagunda finishing even par. Lynn Kim finishing even par. Stacey Lewis finishes 2-over par. Sandstrom, 1-over par. And Nasa Hadakora, the defending Marathon Classic champion, finishes 2-over par. You had Mel Reed, 7-over par. Austin Earns, 11-over par. And Michelle Wee West finishes 20-over par for the first tournament of the season. So Danielle Kang... Finishes it off. They now head down to Boca Raton, Florida this upcoming week for the Gamebridge LPGA at Boca Raton. The defending champion is Nelly Corda for that one. The purse is $2 million. As you are listening to all Andy Elford tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Bleaker, Stitcher, however you're listening, wherever and whenever you're listening, Thank you so much for tuning in. And now we hit the end of our program tonight. And it's time now for Andy Rants. So it's now time for Andy Rants. And first and foremost, before I begin, I want to apologize for this long episode of all Andy offered tonight. I know we went a little long with the Baseball Hall of Fame stuff as well as uh, the um, the NFL playoff stuff as well. Uh, I do apologize on that part. Um, so... Uh, I know it's a little bit long-winded, so I know I probably won't have the amount of listens that we had the last few weeks. But I, again, I say thank you to all you that have tuned into our podcast this week. Uh, programming note, we will have shows coming to you for Super Bowl week. Uh, we are going to have a couple trivia questions this upcoming Super Bowl week that could get you... Some prizes, possibly. We're we're working on that as we speak uh, to get you set up for the Super Bowl. There's not going to be anything big or elaborate as what it is before. Like we're not Sirius XM giving you a trip to the Super Bowl. We're going to, you know, open it up and have have some prizes to hand out to you guys, the fans, to. Uh, to get you ready for the Super Bowl, which is coming up. And we'll be doing Facebook Live shows also the week of the Super Bowl to get you set up for the Super Bowl in L.A. coming forward. So there's that for you. Uh, Programming note as well, too. Like I said, we did the show tonight on this Tuesday night because the Jackets are playing Wednesday and Thursday at Nationwide Arena. So there's that for you guys. If you haven't hit the subscribe button yet, then what are you doing? Hit the subscribe button. We do shows every week right here on the Anchor Network, and we'll be on the air, like I said, during Super Bowl week on Facebook 
live. So it's now time for Andy Rants, and we're going to start. It's a two-part Andy Rant tonight. You heard my rant earlier about the ECHL, the player, Patera. Uh, terrible player, should be banned for life, and you heard about what one of our viewers said. So we're going to dive into it. It's a three-part All Andy Alfred rant, All Andy uh, Andy rants tonight. So part one is what we witnessed on Sunday. And, of course, we're talking about the uh, situation that took place between Buffalo and Kansas City with the overtime rules. I think, in my opinion, that this should be changed, and I hope the competition committee really changes it as well, as well too. Um, I think the league really needs to shake it up a little bit. Uh, I would like to see both teams get at least one possession if you score points, then you know the competition goes on. I know this one touchdown wins the game thing. I I understand that, but you know, I would like to see Josh Allen get an opportunity to see if they could score, put a put seven points on the board down the field. I like to see them play a full overtime period, and both teams get at least one possession. And if you score on the possessions, you know, then we go to sudden death, which is next point wins, whether it be a field goal or a touchdown. We see that in the regular season right now with field goals. Either team kicks a field goal, the next point, next field goal, or next point wins. Why can't we have that in the in the postseason? It's basically the coin flip determines who is winning the football game. We can't have that happen in the league, and I hope that the competition changes changes it. I really, really hope that they change it. So there's that. Part two is, of course, the whole situation with the Jackets. The Jackets are absolutely dreadful right now. And I, I, I'll say this. You know, I hope that... Management is deciding, you know, we can't we can't control who comes into the building. We really can't. You know, the fans are what the NHL want. You know, and, you know, we just need to be louder than the opposition fans. And how bad it was. Every time I've watched the Jackets or I've gone to see the Jackets play Chicago, it feels like United Center East. Because all the Chicago fans come down from Chicago and Indianapolis and they go into Columbus to see the Jackets play Chicago and it becomes more of a Chicago home game. And I hate to see that. I hate to see that. And, you know, it'd just be terrible. My third thing is this. Of course, we are now about a week away from yours truly's 32nd birthday on this planet it has been truly a pleasure to be doing this show with you guys for the last since i was 18 we started this show we started this show on youtube and we have blossomed it went from being on the radio station at wfal falcon radio down in bowling green to being on soundcloud to being on mixcloud to now being on the anchor network and to have you guys be on the platform with us. So I thank you for that. I hope you guys have a great weekend ahead. 
to recap again, and I and I I say it from the bottom of my heart, and I really do mean it. That I really do love you guys for everything that you guys do, and the the amount of listens that we listen that we get, the amount of you know positive feedback we get from you guys. I, I talked, I listened to a guy the other day from Pennsylvania who listens to our podcast and listens, watches our YouTube, our Facebook stuff. And he says, why aren't you doing any more Facebook stuff? And that, that really told me right there that, you know, I have fans. I really do have fans from across the country and across the world that listen to our show to get your sports fix. So again, I thank you. And uh, you make me, and you make me very happy to do what I do, and I really, really appreciate it. I really, really do. I truly, truly thank you for everything, and I, and I love you guys. So again, to recap, I have the Bengals beating the four, the Kansas City Chiefs, and I have the L.A. Rams beating the 49ers to get to the Super Bowl. We'll see how that all shakes out. We'll give you a recap next week on all Andy Alfred. Uh, let me check here really quickly before we sign off for you guys tonight here on this Tuesday evening. Jackets, again, like I said, will play tomorrow night against Calgary, the Rangers, on Thursday. Um, then after that, they are at in Montreal on Sunday. And then against Florida on the 31st. So we will be on the air on February 1st to get you ready for All-Star Weekend. As well as to recap the first half of the Jackets season. So a lot to get into for that next week. Of course, we'll recap the Championship Weekend. As well as Royal Rumble. As well as what's happening on the ice with the Walleyes. So... Until I talk to you guys next week, this is Andy Alford saying, I'm pulling for you. We're all in this together. The game of life. Keep your stick on the ice and make sure you wear your mask when you're out and about. And to the teams you root for at home and to my teams, go Jackets! Try to get the job done against Calgary. Tough test. Or get it done against the Rangers. That's an even tougher test. Go Walleye! Keep up the good work. Our fish, our fight. Go Falcons! Get the job done against Kent State on Saturday. Great job tonight against Eastern Michigan. Go Bengals. Who day, baby? Go Rams. Matthew Stafford. And go State. Victory is sweetest. When you have tasted defeat, have a great week, everybody. I'll talk to you guys next week for another edition of All Andy Alfred. I love you. Talk to you then. This has been a presentation of the All Andy Alfred Network, powered by Anchor. You've been listening to Andy tonight on the plethora of platforms with the Anchor Network, whether it be on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Bleaker, however you listen, wherever and whenever you're listening. Thank you again for tuning into the show tonight. You can be a part of our show by following us on Twitter. It is at AllAndyAlfred, as well as Facebook.com slash AllAndyAlfred. The podcast is performed each week right here on the Anchor Network.